we look at the most expensive, complex bottle of wine that you can get, okay, um, there are going to be about 250 to no more than 400 flavor and aroma compounds. So that's a pretty complex drink. Coffee, you're typically going to average around 800 flavor compounds. Wow. So it's it's about twice as complex as wine. Yeah. But we don't view it in that way because we use it as a source to get energy. Yeah. Uh, or just kind of a ritual, which it, it serves a great purpose for that. But if we take care of what we're doing and do things with uh, like intentionality, then it's going to be really good. Is that how y'all know each other? Business classes? No. No. Okay. We, we know each other from friends. Ian Walker. Yeah. Okay. Good. Oh, man. Ian texted Ian. me and I never replied. Oh, really? I feel terrible. I'm going to reply to him later. You need to, man. I haven't, I haven't talked to him in a long time. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been talking back and forth. So he was my best man in my wedding. And he just recently went to Israel um, where like him and his, his parents and his church went on like kind of like a... It wasn't a, like a, not a vacation, but a tour of Israel mm-hmm. in order to do some things. And him and his dad got to baptize each other in the Jordan, um, which was, I mean, how many people can say that? Goodness uh, gracious. So just cool experiences. But I've meant to call him since and haven't really had much time to do so. But Yeah. I'll Is he still working as a youth minister? Yeah. So he's, he's the, the, what is the, it's, it's. Maybe not youth, actually. I think it's, um, like, he's the minister for um, his dad's church who's in charge of, like, young couples, or not young couples, but uh, young singles or young professionals Mm -hmm. um, and kind of getting those people together and and stuff like that. Um, But, yeah, so he's doing that and I think part-time seminary at the same time. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Man. Cool dude, though, man. Such you know Ian Walker? Guy. Not as well as you guys. Okay. Yeah, kind of a jack-of-all-trades. The manliest of men. manliest of men. <laughs> Wasn't he making knives at one point? He still, still does, yeah. He still does? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The business. Yeah. I remember that when I heard that. I was like, what? Yeah. He made me um, a Damascus steel um, knife with a giraffe bone handle for my wedding and it is amazing looking. sheathed yeah no, yeah no 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 he didn't he didn't make a sheath for it but he got like a custom uh display box built for oh, it. like nice. he didn't build that um but he did like get damascus steel and then like a giraffe bone yeah like however that comes i don't <laughs> know and then shaped it to the knife wow. and stuff like that so it's it's neat looking. I think he does more handle making for knives and sheath making than he does knife make blade making. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he buys the blades. I think so. And then mm-hmm. creates yeah. a handle. <clears throat> that would make sense because they're two completely different processes. Things, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into it then. Um, really, I wanted to talk to you because um, Connor and I both drink. Uh, pour over. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much you guys talked, but um, I got into this after watching Judson McLaren um, mm. V60. Same. And uh, okay, yeah. That well, that that answers one of my first questions yeah. was where where did that come from? Because um, I know you were a, a minor league 
baseball player for a while, and yeah, they don't seem to be V60 types. No. Um, <laughs> so the first time I saw it was Judd, actually. Yeah. Um, and so I got one after he did, and I got this kettle. Um, you know, it has nothing to do with, or, or should have nothing to do with coffee. Um, so I started doing it and didn't really know much about it, but it was cool and... Uh, like the experience of making your coffee by hand makes the cup better for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, so, yeah, actually the the start of it was actually seeing Judd do it because his, uh, his girlfriend at the time would, like, send him coffee from, like, different places and, and stuff like that. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, what wh- – so did you – well, where did, where did it go from there? Um, so met Judd, uh, started just kind of playing around with it. Uh, and then, you know, a year later, a year and a half later or something like that, uh, got married and needed a job. So, uh, I knew the, I guess, manager at, at, at a Starbucks. So I thought it seems like an okay job. Like I'll try that one. Um, so went for an interview and got the job and worked there for probably 10 months to a year or something like that to where the position for, um, another barista and the roasting position opened up at Union. And I knew, like, I really liked coffee and I, I didn't necessarily like, um, the way in which, uh, Starbucks does that. Um, and we can get into that. It's, it's not like a, a, a bash to Starbucks coffee. It's just very different. So um, that opened up, talked with uh, the roaster and then uh, Joy here at Union, and, and we thought that that would be something, you know, that would be good. Mm-hmm. So I took that on uh, and learned, you know, a ton of about specialty coffee, which is what we do, um, and then kind of went from there uh, into the the ever-growing world of coffee yeah where are you at now um in terms of like what is it what 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 is the what's the place that it has in your life personally um but also like how because you can go ever deeper i mean you can get Mm -hmm. um as far as coffee's concerned i mean thousand dollar grinders are no like that's like you know right um so like where where is it on on where, how far how deep are you in it? Um, pretty deep. Uh, so you know it just depends on. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. So I roast about a hundred to one hundred fifty pounds a week of coffee, um, and then you you kind of get different answers from those who roast and those who prepare coffee uh, I, I get to do both not much of the preparing in terms of shop but at home I get to do a lot um, so in terms of roasting there is kind of this place that you get to where no coffee is good enough um, and it's super easy to fall into that that trap so every roast I'll taste uh, two or three times to kind of figure out okay where do I need to go from here Mm. And then I'll make some adjustments, and then maybe I could do that a little bit more. Maybe I can uh, change a few things in the roast to make it a little bit better. So I'll try that, and then I'll 
I'll taste it and be like, well, maybe I can make it better than that. So there's never this, I finally found it moment. Hmm. Um, so I'm constantly trying to look at different ways to change roasts. And uh, then you get into the, the part of brewing it. So you have to be able to brew really well in order to taste what's happening in the roast. So um, constantly looking at, you know, different inventions that crazy coffee people come up with nowadays um, and trying them in different ways and seeing, you know, maybe this, maybe a French press um, is better for this coffee or maybe a V60 is better for this coffee. Um, Chemex is usually never better for any coffee. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm not a Chemex (laughs) hater, uh, but we can get into detail on why I don't think it's better than a V60. Um, But yeah, so there's, there's so many components to coffee that you just can't really narrow down Mm -hmm. uh you know the perfect way in which to do things so okay how much freedom do they give you to experiment well up there at the the roast house whatever it's called yeah so um the roasting joy is super good about it kind of trust me into into doing kind of what i think is best in in terms of beans and we have you know, our vision at, at Modera that um, too many places get in the way of, of what coffee naturally tastes like. So uh, we want to get the coffee as sweet as possible, um, which means um, there's a point in the roast that uh, your sweetness level of just the bean, so this isn't talking about any kind of sweetener, um, maximizes and then it drops off pretty quickly to become bitter. So we want to maximize that sweetness um, and then let the coffee kind of talk for itself before adding any, any of the smoky or carbon flavors of the roaster, um, which is kind of a nice um, balance of what you typically get in a Madeira cup. At some point, I'd love to talk more about just how the whole roasting process works. Yeah, that's what I Because I don't was really understand. Next. I mean, I've been up there. I've seen the mm-hmm. giant, you know, churning thing. Yeah. But I don't really know what's going on there, so. Yeah, I mean, we could, we could do a quick overview. Um, so I don't know if you've, you've gotten to see, like, a, a coffee seed, but that's yeah. what the beans are. It's just a seed of the, of the coffee cherry. Um, and they come, they're green, so they're called... Uh, like it's called green coffee pretty much so that's unroasted coffee okay um we then take say our ethiopia um you know weigh it out to how much we want to roast put it in the like the hopper up up top uh, and then we get the the roaster sufficiently heated uh, and then we'll drop in the coffee and there's a like a spinning drum Mm -hmm. with some paddles inside of it to keep the coffee moving constantly uh, and then we have some burners under the barrel that heats the barrel and then heats the coffee. Um, and then you have uh, airflow that you can control to kind of manipulate the speed in which it's being roasted. Um, and then, you know, <clears throat> you have a couple phases. So the, the drying phase is typically the first one where most of the moisture is being removed. And then you have the browning phase, um, which the bean starts to brown. That's called um, a mayored reaction so that's just the okay. kind of when you sear a steak that's a mayored reaction is when okay. when whatever is starting to brown um, and then you have <coughs> just the development phase and once it gets to a certain point of development that I think um, you know all of these phases coming together represent a good coffee uh, then I'll drop it into the cooling bin and then we'll have 
uh, some airflow to quickly cool the beans so that they don't continue to cook. And development is just continuing to get darker? Yeah, or? so it's it's uh, more so um, you, could, you could talk about it in terms of light and dark roast. We don't typically do that because, like, a, say, a Columbia, you could roast it for the exact same. You could put it, you could put it uh, in the exact same roast as an Ethiopia, and it could end up being darker than the Ethiopia. So the development would be the same, but the color is not. So we don't like to talk about uh, beans in terms of light or dark or medium or uh, city or full city or whatever mm. you know those terms are. Uh, we just try to, like I said earlier, get that the most sweetness out of every roast that we can. Are there different? Are different coffees harder to roast than others? Yes, um, definitely. <laughs> Uh, more so with uh, the, the different processing methods. So you have washed coffee mm-hmm. uh, and you have natural coffee and then you have some stuff in between that. So natural is where the cherry of the, of the coffee plant is left around the seed for an extended period of time, um, which makes the bean typically sweeter and it absorbs most of that uh, cherry-like flavor. And that's where you get the infamous, you know, uh, blueberry note from the Ethiopia. Um, so those, because of the moisture content being a little different, um, typically are harder to control in the roast. So mm. once you hit first crack, they'll just take off in terms of, um, you know, how much temperature that is rising per second or per minute. So you have to account for that before the roast, and you have to kind of account for, for that almost a minute before that happens. Um, so that's kind of why, uh, you know, roasting can be so difficult is because you have to, um, kind of anticipate where it's going to be a minute ahead or, Mm -hmm. or a minute ahead of where you change something. Mm -hmm. So, uh, makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's a very, very late reaction to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. It's gotta be super satisfying though, when you get it right after all that math. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, you always think I could have done better. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's, that's where a place that I was about um, six months to a year ago of I would go into other shops and then critique, uh, and I would taste mine and critique, what could I do better, taste whatever and critique, uh, until I, I just started thinking, you know, I'm just going to drink it, and I'm going to, like, be happy with what I'm drinking because it's good. It's still good. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to be as consumed of the thought of what can, what can make this better. Hmm. Um, so since then it's been a lot, uh, less mind boggling, I guess. You said something similar at one point. You said you didn't want to become so much of a coffee snob that you would turn down a cup of Folgers or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would, uh, like certainly do that you know, six months or a year ago, um, to where now I'm just at the point where I'm just going to drink it. Like whatever yeah. it is, it's, I mean, it's coffee. Uh, and you, you have benefit from that too. Cause, um, when we, when we taste, when we get comfortable tasting the same thing, our taste buds change to, mm. um, you know, adapt to what we're tasting. Okay. So, uh, if you were to drink, if you were to hate Madeira coffee, but decided, I'm going to, I'm going to drink it every day for two months. Um, by that second month, you would start to really like Madeira coffee and enjoy it. So there was a study 
um, amongst, um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was in some kind of, in, in, in Hispanic culture to where um, anyone that they observed that was under five years old uh, really, really hated chili powder. But everyone that was above five years old had chili powder on every single thing that they ate. Wow. And what they concluded essentially was <coughs> that social pressures and consistency in tasting this thing because the parents would put the chili powder on everything mm-hmm. and so they had to eat it um, ends up kind of changing your preference for, for what you eat. So mm. uh, it's very beneficial to go to Starbucks and get a cup of coffee or drink a cup of Folgers to compare it. Mm-hmm. And then you can have more clarity in, in the taste of Madeira coffee. Mm. Um, is that the big difference between Starbucks and places like Madeira, the roasting process? Is that where the big difference happens between um, what you get at Starbucks and what you would get at a place like Madeira? It's, it's kind of split between um, roasting and then brewing. Oh, okay. okay. So the ratios and stuff that you use. So Because I think a lot of people know that there's a difference. They can taste a difference, mm-hmm. but they couldn't necessarily tell what the difference is. Yeah. So Starbucks is typically a darker roast. Okay. Um, pretty, pretty consistently. Um, they also use blends. So when you see um, like a Kenya or a Columbia from Starbucks, for the most part, it's a blend of a lot of coffees from Colombia or Kenya. Um, and what that does is it makes a more cohesive coffee flavor mm-hmm. rather than uh, allowing you to pick out certain notes, um, which is super beneficial for Starbucks. So if I go to Japan uh, and I get a cup of Colombian coffee, it's going to taste exactly like the Colombian coffee that I got in Jackson. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a, a fantastic model yeah. to be able to provide the exact same product So same thing with like a Hershey's chocolate bar. In December, it's going to taste exactly like it does in July, even though coffee or even though chocolate isn't grown all year round for the most part that they Uh get it. So they're just able to combine a bunch of different chocolates into this bar to make it taste like a cohesive chocolate flavor. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So if I get a cup of coffee from Starbucks, I'm drinking the product of multiple farms versus one single farm. Mm -hmm. That's that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah, and then also the the darker roast profile or the more what we would call um, um, developed roast profile uh, allows more cohesiveness, so you're adding more of the roast flavors that can kind of mask any of the inconsistencies amongst the coffees. So, How long is the roasting process? Um, it depends. So usually between, um, I would say... No less than 12 minutes. Well, no less than like 11 and a half minutes to usually no more than 14 minutes or something like that. That's, that's from the hopper yeah. all so the way. Th- so that's, that's us. Um, <clears throat> it could be different if you develop it more or develop it less. Um, but we try, you know, if someone isn't usually like, very familiar with terms that we use, we'll say we, we typically roast a medium. Yeah. Uh, so that's what your typical medium probably falls in, depending on what, what your definition is. How do you guys is. acquire these? How, I mean, where did that come from? Because um, I've, I've been in the roast, is, you, do you call it the roastery? Mm-hmm. 
I've been in there once and there's like, it's gigantic, like 50 pound sacks of, of beans. Yeah. Like in burlap sacks. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not from Walmart. Yeah. You know, like, so where does that, where, where, where did that process begin and how did, I guess it was joy that started doing that. Um, right. Yeah. And how did, you know, I, I don't know if you know how that started or not, but it seems like, it seems like it, you'd have to really dig to find contacts to find, you know, that, that mm -hmm. sort of product. Yeah. So, uh, we go through a major importer, um, called cafe imports based out of, I think, um, I want to say Minnesota. Um, and they're, you know, you can look at how good they are to the farmers to kind of decide. So cafe imports are, are typically really, really good to their farmers. So, uh, that's kind of important, and I'm writing a, a paper on the lack of, uh, you know, uh, money involved in farming coffee. Okay. Uh, because they're they're fairly underpaid, um, like I mean, not just in terms of like American standards, but even their their kind of lifestyle. So this would fall under business ethics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, one thing that is super bad for farmers is when they try to ship out coffee with um like a humidity content too high um so when that happens that 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 bag like mildews or molds so it just gets thrown out and they don't get money for that bag so cafe imports supplied a lot of their farmers with um you know things that measure the humidity inside the bag so that they can wait or or inside the coffee so mm. that they know whenever they put this coffee in the bag, that it's going to make some kind of money. Um, and they're, they're pretty good at, at what they do. So the process is, you know, we, we get new coffees every semester, um, and we'll send um, our guy at Cafe Imports uh, an email, and he'll send us the, the spreadsheet or the spot sheet of coffees that they have at the time. Uh, and we'll look through the notes and pick out roughly like 10. We'll, he'll ship those in to us, and we will... Um, taste them. So he, he ships about a pound of each. Mm. We'll roast them and then we'll cup them, which is the, the coffee tasting process. Uh, and then we'll pick about five or six that we really like. Uh, we'll tell them and we'll tell them how much we want and then they'll just ship it kind of straight to us. So it's, okay. it's pretty simple. Okay. Um, it's a super fun process because it's like... Sounds like it. You're getting to discover new coffees. Mm. So This is something that I'm interested in is <clears throat> if... Madero is a specialty coffee bar. Why is there a difference between that and a bar that does pour over and, you know, those those sort of individualized? Mm -hmm. Because I think, because whenever I order a cup of coffee, it's it's coming out of a FECCO. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm interested to know what are, what are the good things about a FECCO? What do you wish would be different in terms of the coffee that you receive from that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's going to taste different. So each, each different brewing method. And so um, I have a, a variety of different ways to brew coffee at home. Um, my go-to is the V60. Um, but the difference in, in, you know, our shop versus um, if you go to Nashville, like Crema or uh, Revelator is a pretty good shop, um, is that we have not an or we don't have enough workers per shift because of classes 
So we're not able to take the time to, um, you know, make a pour over for four mm. or five minutes, um, you know, with the whole setup and everything per customer. So that's why we stick to the Fetco. Um, it's also super consistent. And most of those shops have baristas that work, you know, minimum 20 mm. hours a week, which mm-hmm. isn't the case for our students. So we have a lot of, a lot of student workers who work 10 or less hours a week in the shops. So those workers get develop, can develop the skill and they can have enough of them um, in order to set one aside to make a, a pour over. Whereas we don't really have um, the amount of workers per shift mm-hmm. to set one aside as well as they don't work enough in order to develop enough consistency uh, between each barista for mm. you know the same cup of coffee right so it's 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 very important that you know what you're going to get for the yeah. most part okay but i mean in in terms of coffee um we're the same and i would say you know better but it's a little biased so. <laughs> <laughs> man um Now, <clears throat> this is a personal question, but uh, I have, I do, I use a V60, and what I use to grind the coffee is, is like your, your run-of-the-mill, it's like, it's the Slim Mill, the Hario Slim Mill. Okay. Is, if, if I wanted to upgrade anything to enhance my, my coffee experience, would... I've read and I've heard that like what I want to do is in, in upgrade the the grinder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked into several different things. I looked into like some some mid range, well, it's more like low end electric grinders with burrs, and then um, and then I also looked at like high end hand grinders with with burrs, and like what I, I heard it described like the high end hand grinders make make do the same kind of thing as a mid-range electric grinder. So, yeah, I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? Or yeah. do you think I should just stick with the slim mill? So that's that's one thing that um, is super important. So grind um, is, is what you base um, most of your decisions off of when you brew. So um, consistency is super important. Uh, hand grinders are, for the most part, hand burr grinder. I don't even know if there's a hand blade grinder, <laughs> but a hand grinder is, for the most part, the most consistent um, because you're not really grinding too fast and it's not crushing any types of. Well, it crushes because it's a burr grinder, but it's not like powdering beans, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't create as many fines. That's what we would call them. Um, so they're typically, you know, pretty good. However, they take forever and a lot of effort. So um, what I use is uh, the Barazza Encore, which is about uh, one thirty in terms of price, <laughs> not pounds. Uh, and it's, or any other unit of measure. Right. Uh, could be centimeters, I don't know. <laughs> um, Kilocalories. Heights. Uh, but it's, it's a fairly consistent, um, most bang-for-your-buck grinder I think you can get. Um, now, if we're talking about, like, any burr grinder, that's not the case. So um, I used to have like a Cuisinart or something like that. 
um, and it would be fairly inconsistent because it, it tried to grind too fast, and so you would get a lot of boulders, which are the big coffees mm-hmm. or the big grinds, and then the fines, and so that really alters the taste of your cup to where you'll get an uneven extraction, which will have um, very bitter coffee because of the fines and an under-extracted coffee from the boulders, which tastes very sour. Um, so that is a very bad combination for a cup of coffee is bitter and sour at the same time. Mm. Uh, so the more consistent you can get, the better. I think the the Barazza Encore is, is a pretty, um, you know, good grinder. And at first, the the burrs are going to be super sharp and you're going to get some inconsistencies. But once it breaks in, uh, it it stays fairly consistent throughout. So Cool. How long does it take to find its groove? Um, it would it would be in terms of how much coffee goes through it per day. So um, I would say a month and a half to two months. Uh, you're you're probably not. I mean, it's not going to be bad coffee, right? Um, it's just going to be not as great as it will be in two months. Kind of coffee, and it and it has a lot to do with the brew method. Um, that you use as well. So, this is super fascinating to me. Yeah, hmm. there's so much of an art form to this. Yeah, yeah. The brew method. It, it, well, the the thing with coffee is, um, it is it is incredibly important for every step to be done right. So from, uh, you know, the even even down to the planting of the coffee, because the soil in which it grows is is very important to the notes that you get from it as well as the height in which it grows, so the meters above sea level that that mm-hmm. plant is, um, all the way down to, uh, you know, until it gets to the customer. So the farmer has a huge role. The person who processes the coffee has a huge role. The person who bags the coffee or dries the coffee before it's um, bagged. And then, uh, you know, the person who ships it, it's super important that they keep it, you know, within a certain temperature and sealed um, and then the roaster gets it and does his thing, and then it's kind of all up to the barista at that point to, you know, finish that that process. Um, How does altitude make a difference? Um, yeah, so so altitude kind of um, how do I want to phrase this? Um, decides how quickly the plant grows. Okay. So um, if you have a coffee tree that is pretty low in altitude, uh, it grows quickly. So the bean doesn't have a whole lot of time or the cherry doesn't have a whole lot of time to develop um, and create a lot of sweetness. So the higher the altitude, the slower it grows and the more time it has to put nutrients and uh, ah, kind of notes okay. that are going to come from the soil mm. into the bean. Okay. Um, so it just, it just grows slower pretty much and, and allows time for that being to have as much flavor packed into it as possible yeah. by the time yeah. it's picked. I heard that uh, there was that one of the reasons that the the higher altitudes had an impact on flavor, and I don't know if this is true, but had something to do with like the way uh, that oxygen was processed. So in higher altitudes, you have you know um, you have lactic acid buildup just as a human. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're not getting as much o- much oxygen, and I don't know what that how that translates to a plant, but I heard that there's like um, that something involving that whole acidity oxygen consumption 
has 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 is that, is that something that you've heard of or is that not something that I is true? I I don't know. Um, it wouldn't surprise me because I mean there there are a lot of factors that affect the way coffee um, comes out the way it is. So um, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't necessarily know the. Um, I you know I'm not a plant expert. I have a garden, but you know, <laughs> not not so much. But I don't know how much oxygen affects plants. Right. So. Right. Right. Um, That's got to be a factor, though. Right. So, like, well, I guess what I'm saying is, um, as far as I'm aware, plants rely more on like uh, CO2 levels. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know what what that looks like. Um, in higher altitudes, uh-huh. yeah. so I remember well could be. when we went on our mission trip to Ethiopia. Uh-huh. Uh, this was, I guess, back in high school. We went to Ethiopia together, and um, before we went, one way that they kind of helped to prepare us for the culture shock mm-hmm. was to have us try some of the food that we would be eating over there. Oh, really? And there was a certain kind of bread that's a really spongy bread they call injera. Okay. And um, I remember thinking that when we went over there that in Ethiopia, it tasted nothing like how we had here. Mm-hmm. And they explained that by saying that it was a difference in altitude. Oh, wow. That the, the way the bread is made, it just turns out different. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. So when, do you, are there, are there value differences to you in, in different countries where the coffee's from? Um... Are you asking if I like one more than the other? I guess so, yeah. Um, so there, there are a lot of people that do. Um, so a lot of people that drink specialty coffee have um, this love for Ethiopia, especially the Ethiopian naturals, because you get the blueberry, the very, the very, very like berry-like taste from it, and it's obvious. Like it's not one of those that's a very subtle note. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one that most people can actually taste. Um, So Ethiopia is a great, usually, place to to get coffee from. Uh, And it's actually considered to be where coffee originated Mm -hmm. and spread from. Uh, So most varieties are some form that came from Ethiopia. Um, So if if I had to pick a coffee, if, if the scenario came up to where you said mm. you can only have one coffee for the rest of your life from a certain place. What is it? I would probably pick an Ethiopia because mm. it's consistently really good. Mm. Um, but I would hate to have to do that. Yeah. So I really, really like having uh, different coffees from different places because there are, uh, you know, a lot of notes that you'll get from a Rwandan coffee, which we have a, a super good coffee from Rwanda right now. Um, that you won't get from one in Ethiopia, uh, and, and especially in Costa Rica. So that's a pretty popular coffee place. Um, but yeah, the people that say that just usually don't get to, um, experience as much coffee as I do, Mm -hmm. uh, with getting to get samples in and taste them. Um, so it makes sense for them to say that, but I would hate to only get to drink coffee from Ethiopia for the rest of my life. Does Madeiro get coffee from Indonesia? Um, We have not since I've roasted. Okay. Um, We just, uh, you know, we don't, we don't usually 
um, we don't uh, look at necessarily where it's from to pick it. Um, we, we kind of take that factor into consideration, but we just look at, you know, which notes look best to us, and we think that yeah. will work best for what we're trying to do, and then we'll order those samples. So I don't, I don't think we've... I don't remember ordering a sample from Indonesia. Okay. I've heard some people say when I've asked them, you know, what their favorite uh, country to get coffee from is, I've heard some people say Indonesia. Really? But I'd, my taste isn't developed enough yet mm. to uh, to be able to say one way or the other. Yeah. That's another thing is a lot of, um, a lot of people feel pressured into being able to taste certain notes, uh, and it's not easy. Like, you have to, uh, I mean, every single day, pour a cup of coffee well, and then sit down and think about what you're tasting um, and really, really try to pick up on notes. So until you're able to do that consistently for like a year um, at least, you're not going to be really great at tasting notes. Mm -hmm. And then even then, so even like me with doing that, um, I would be nowhere close to being able to going and being like a Q grader to where I can uh, test the quality and then test the notes and, you know, confidently say this has this, this, and this. Hmm. Um, I can, I can probably get one to two notes out of a, out of a bean if I'm not looking at a sheet, um, and say definitively this tastes like this, but, um, you know, it takes a lot of training and a lot of, um, practice with your palate to, in order to, to be able to do that. So it's a misconception that, like most people should be able to do that. Um, which also interesting, uh, that brings up like our, our consumption of sugar, uh, uh -huh. in the United States, which kind of dulls our, our taste buds into mm. being able to taste those. So, uh, once we, so the, the notes of coffee are typically, um, considered the sweetness of the coffee. So that's how you're able to do that. Uh, taste those by the, the caramelization or the caramelization of the sugars, um, and for the most part, Americans eat so much sugar in everything that we we have that we desensitize our tongue. So the same way in in terms of like a drug, if you if you take so much of it, you're going to need more the next time. Mm. Um, it's the same thing in tasting is is if you have so much flavor um, hitting your tongue. And then you try to taste coffee, it's just going to taste mm. like coffee. Like, mm -hmm. it's not going to taste like any kind of note. So you have to train and then adapt what you're eating in order to be able to taste the notes, mm. I think. I, um, it, pour over was, like, a really slow process for me. And I, <clears throat> I'm still, like, trying to figure it out. Um, but for the longest time, well, like, I we, Reagan and I started to um, we we started with French press, mm -hmm. and then we had no concept that we needed to adjust the grind size when we moved to V sixteen. Mm -hmm. oh, so yeah. like, we had about six months of horrible coffee out of this V sixty, and I was like trying so hard to figure out. I was like, what the heck is wrong? And then I realized there's like an adjustment on the bottom of that thing. <laughs> um, so then I went the other way, and we were like getting really really fine coffee and then it was taste yeah. and then it was another six months of really horrible coffee and um so i but i'm still i still don't get consistent cups i still even though i've i think i've dialed in pretty well on on the the cheap little hand grinder that i have 
Um, I still, I don't, I like some days taste different than the others. Um, so I think it would be good if I could, if I could really dial down. Um, but also it, it's almost come to the, my attention that the last cup of the bag is the best cup for mm. some reason, like at that more point, so than the first. Yeah. Um, cause like I would think with the first, it would be fresher. Yeah. So that's interesting. Consistently. It, I think it's because little adjustments are made and finally nailed down for that individual. Cause usually I, I won't get the same kind the next time I uh -huh. usually try and get a different, a different flavor. And so by the time I've, nailed it down it's like okay well that was the last cup of the right a cup of the bag um yeah so a couple of things of, on that um people typically think the fresher the better um that's not the case until you're about four to five days after the roast so um during the roasting process the coffee starts to build up gas um which needs to be released from the bean so in the first um, I would say three to five days, um, you know, that gas isn't, isn't, um, down enough or it hasn't released enough gas in order for it to be, uh, you know, the best coffee you can get. So, um, I don't know if you do this when you brew, but there's a, a pre-wet or a bloom process. So, uh, what you want to do if you do 25 grams of coffee is you want to pour 50 grams of water and then let it degas. So you'll see like a bunch of bubbles coming from it. Um, and then you start brewing after that. So that lets the gas get out of there and then allows you to extract because if there's a bunch of gas uh, trapped in the bean, then it's going to resist um, the water. So you have to get that out before you can actually extract the coffee. Hmm. Um, so if you're getting like your bag that day that I roast it, the next day is probably uh, going to have a lot of gas. It's going to take a lot of time to degas. So it's probably going to be a little zippy, um, a little um, acidic, um, or really, really like, yeah, zippy is the word I usually use. Um, and then secondly, the V60, um, I would say, is the second hardest brewing method to get a really good cup of coffee. But if you get it good, it's really consistent. So um, the Chemex is probably the hardest to get an even extraction and almost impossible because of the way that the filter's made. So you have one layer on one side, three layers on the other, mm -hmm. uh, and there's no airflow. So uh, it makes it super, super difficult in order to get an even extraction. The V60 has those uh, swirls on the inside that allow airflow, mm -hmm. um, and it's just one filter. I mean, it's one layer of filter all the way across, so mm -hmm. you can get it pretty even. It's just difficult to get it down. Mm -hmm. So um, for the most people, or for most people that start out uh, wanting to do pour over, I recommend the Kalita Wave. Um, so it is a flat bottom filter. Um, it has three holes that kind of let you gauge how fast to brew it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it is a really, really good cup of coffee. In a lot of competitions, it's the one that's used um, in order to showcase the mm. coffee because there's not a lot of room for error. Um, so getting a V60 is kind of throwing yourself in the, in the, in the fire, okay. you know, just like jumping right into it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, cause V60s are great. And I think it, it provides the most clarity in your cup. Uh -huh. Um, but the Kalita wave is a little more user friendly. Okay. So, 
it's just hard. Like the yeah. V60s are super hard to to get. It's really frustrating, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's and it, at some points it's it's more been a like a daggum and I'm gonna do this even though you don't want me to succeed yeah. kind of thing. Um, and and about ten percent of the time it's like, man, this is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still waiting. I mean, I've had I have had one cup that has trumped all the others. Um, <laughs> a guy named Kale made it for me, and oh, Kale Conrad, yeah. And he, I I can remember, and this was like, this was back in college. I had zero, like, affinity for coffee notes, but I I I think I've told you about it. Where I like I sipped it, and it was like, flavor. It was just flavors on flavors, mm-hmm. um, that I couldn't put names to, but I could tell. It's like, oh my goodness, this is this is what coffee's supposed to taste like. Um, so and I'm, I'm I keep aiming for that cup. Um, and I'm I haven't even gotten close to it yet, and it's been two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah, learned a could, lot along the way, though. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, I hope so. I've got two questions okay. based on what you said. So first of all, with the numbers, you said fifty grams of water for twenty-five um, grams of coffee. Is that right? Yeah, for the bloom. For the bloom, mm-hmm. I think I might be doing too much water at first. Then. Because I typically use 14 grams of coffee, mm-hmm. but I've been doing 50 grams of water for the bloom. Okay. So that's that's too much water then, right? That's almost... Um, for 14 grams of coffee, how, how big should the bloom be? So uh, it depends on um, the ability to get all of the grounds wet. Okay. Which brings up kind of like the anatomy of the V60. I don't even know if you can use that, but um, <laughs> the anatomy, the anatomy of a glass <laughs> uh, funnel. Um, so, uh, what you want to do is make sure all of the the grounds get wet so that they can release that mm-hmm. that gas. So, if it takes fifty grams, I don't think that's necessarily too much, um, but typically twice the amount of coffee in grams uh, that you have is a sufficient amount of water to soak those beans. Um, so um, you also have to think of the depth um, of the different quadrants of a V60. So that core in the center is the deepest part. So you really, really want to hit that really hard uh, in order to get the bottom of that wet. So if you start you know, wetting your, your beans in a circle and then stop at 50 grams, and then you're ready to brew after like 45 seconds of waiting for that gas, and you just cut the V60 in half, you're probably going to find a lot of dry grounds, which isn't good. Okay. So uh, what I do is I pour extremely aggressively in the middle in order to pre-wet or to bloom um, until it starts to pour over the sides, and then I'll finish my 50 grams off. Uh, And that kind of helps to really bury that water down into the core Mm -hmm. um, of the V60. And you have to consider that in terms of extraction throughout the brew process. So you're going to want to focus more water in the center mm-hmm. than you do on the outsides. Do you, that bloom, that, that's included in your cup of coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't dump that out. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize anybody does dump that out. No, I just, when he was explaining at the very beginning what a bloom was, it made it, I didn't know if he was keeping that or not keeping that. In, so, yeah. So I, I think some people do, uh, or will dump it out. Um, 
I don't I don't think it's that necessary. Hmm. It's going to be mostly. I mean, so if if your cup of coffee is what ninety, so it's it's usually one point two percent coffee or one point three percent coffee. Okay. So it's mm. you know ninety eight point eight percent coffee or water. Yeah. Um. So that that portion because the coffee is resisting extraction is going to be a higher percentage of water than the whole overall cup. Mm. So it's not going to make that much difference. Okay. My second question was, uh, what do you think about ceramic versus stainless steel? Cause the filter that I use is a reusable stainless steel and I don't notice that much of a taste difference. Okay. So, so do you, do you mean, so ceramic, in terms of the V60, or you mean like a paper filter? Let me let me show you. This is what I've got here. I'm gonna to try to turn this around. Okay. Can you see that? Okay. Yeah. So yeah this yeah. is this is what I used. It was okay. pretty cheap. It was only like twenty bucks. I, I got it off Amazon, and I don't use a paper filter. Okay. Um, so with stainless steel, um, okay. So with paper filters, you have this benefit of. Um, it catches the oil that you don't want as well as um, it traps almost, well, it does, it traps all of the fines. Um, with the stainless steel is it doesn't necessarily trap any of the oils that come from the beans Okay. or all of the fines that come from the beans. So and you want to trap the oil? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So um, Because of taste? Yeah, it, 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 it is like a... It's just kind of like a, a weirdness to the cup. Okay. Um, so the paper kind of, the paper filter then like soaks up that oil uh, and then traps the, the fines. And the fines are the, the bigger the bigger issue with stainless steel that I've found. So I've used some stainless steel and it doesn't seem to trap a lot of the fines. So if you use like a, a French press mm-hmm. and you press down because it's got the stainless steel filter, um, you'll get a lot of fine steel in your cup. Um, and there's a way to kind of get around that with a French press to where you don't press at all, um, and it makes the cup really, really good. Uh, it's my favorite way to do a French press. And, okay. Uh, it's, I think James Hoffman on YouTube has a tutorial on how to do it, and it's just kind of flipping the normal French press hmm. um, on its head. You, know, you don't really do many of the things that you would with a normal French press. But, um, yeah, but then on the other hand, you do get... Uh, a little bit of like a papery taste um, with the bleached filters you get that less less than you would with like an unbleached filter so I always go with the bleach filters okay um, with the bleached filters yeah so the white ones oh, okay versus the brown ones um, this yeah. might just be a, a a palette development issue but I've experimented and I think you you did it with me mm-hmm. we tried a taste testing thing yeah where we got, he used his ceramic one and I used this one. Uh-huh. And then we also tried stainless steel mug versus ceramic mug oh, really? to see if we could tell a taste difference. Uh-huh. I could tell a difference if I used stainless steel filter and stainless steel mug. Okay. But if it was one and the other, I couldn't tell. Did it difference. have like a, a metallic taste? A little bit. Yeah. It I... wasn't, it wasn't a lot. It was just a tiny, a tiny little hint uh-huh. with both the filter and the mug. Right. But they had to both be there for me to tell Which the is difference. Terrible, yeah. isn't it? I hate the metallic taste. <laughs> um, I I usually get that with most stainless steel mugs. Okay. Uh, which is why I don't I don't really use it. I do use like the the little Yeti one. 
that I don't get a stainless steel taste, but if I use any other stainless steel cup, okay. I get that taste. Um, but I've never, uh, well, I mean, I have brewed with a stainless steel filter like once or twice, but I didn't notice. You didn't notice as much of a difference? Mm-hmm. Okay. What, what did you think about it? I don't remember what you said. I couldn't tell a difference. Okay. Um, yeah, I couldn't tell a difference at all. Yeah. So what, what, what have you not told us about? in terms of coffee education that we, that we should know about? Oh, it depends. Um, I think more so on where you're hoping to get with coffee. So that's going to probably change, but, um, in terms of, do you eventually want to try to like roast coffee or do you just want to explore the different ways of brewing coffee or, um, do you want to know about like coffee history type stuff or, you know, it, it depends on that. Oh yeah. Um, mm. I think right now for, at least for me, it's, it's all in the brewing. Like mm-hmm. once I get the, once I get, I don't know anything about, um, what happens before it gets in the bag. But yeah. once I get in the bag, I'd like to know, once I get the bag, I'd like to know, you know, what, what the best way to make a cup of coffee is, how I can increase my, success so yeah so um that's one thing with self-brewing is equipment tends to be um kind of expensive uh to get started so you need a good brewing device so kalita um kalita wave or the v60 most people start with um, a french press which is is great but there are better ways to do that um, because you usually get like a really like thick grainy cup out of a French press, mm-hmm. which I don't like. Um, so ratios is, is, is very important. Uh, extraction percentage, which is more so of, am I over brewing or under brewing? So if you under extract or under brew, it's going to be sour. So, um, in terms of when you're analyzing the cup that you make, you can kind of depict, and sometimes they can get confusing of is this cup too sour if so then i need to do a couple things uh, or one of of a few things so i can either brew longer in order to um, extract better or not like under brew like i am doing so uh, my v60 the drawdown which is when i've finished pouring and then all of the rest of the coffee goes into the container is right around 315, 330, sometimes 345. Oh, wow. Um, so if yours is um, like 230, um, then you may be under extracting because your grind is too big. So in order to fix extraction, we can either change the time or we can change the size of the grind. And that's the most common way to fix those. I would say always um, try to fix the time before you fix the grind unless your grind is just okay. you know too far gone that's good <laughs> practical advice yeah that's how helpful. do you fix yeah. time just pour slower yeah so okay um your the rate of the stream in which you're using so are you pouring too aggressively um if you slow that down so my bloom is 45 seconds okay so i i hit time as soon as the first amount or the first time i put any any water over the grounds I hit the time 
to start it. And then I usually, when, when all of the beans are soaked or after when I get to 50 grams, I'll stop and then I'll wait until it hits 45 seconds. Um, and then I'll start with the first pour. Um, a lot of people think continuous pouring is, is the, makes you a better barista or makes you better at what, you know, a, a pour over, but that's not necessarily true. Um, if you can do a continuous pour and get a good cup of coffee, all that means is you can control the rate of, of water really, really well. Hmm. Um, so most people do, um, I think with 25 grams of coffee, that would then um, need 400 grams of water in order to get the right ratio of water to coffee. Um, they usually do that in like 50 gram spurts. Um, and if you can see that, you know, this is taking too long, you can throw a 100 gram spurt or 75 to kind of, uh, uh, or kind of accommodate for brewing too slowly. Um, and if you see that, then it probably means your grind is too small. Mm. So you want to... Uh, and I usually try to grind as, as large as I can and still okay. get the time that I want, um, which means I have to adjust. But you never want, once you start pouring, you never want those grounds to then be exposed to air until after the brew. So you want to keep a certain level of water. Um, not a lot, so you don't want to pour very high, but you want to continue to have a little bit of water above the the height of the bed of the coffee. Hmm. Through the whole pouring process? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you don't want to have the levels go down and up and down and up? Well, you, 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 the levels can go down and up, but you don't want the water level to completely go under okay. the bed of the coffee. Okay. So you don't want to ever really be pouring directly on the beans after the first time you do it. So you want to continuously have a little bit of water so that you can pour on top of that water. Uh -huh. And, it, you know, the, the level will rise a little bit, and then it'll start to draw down. And then right before it hits the top of the bed, just put a little bit more water on it. Yeah. Or 50 grams. Um, so from the bloom till the end of pouring, how many seconds is that for you total? If you're doing, would you say, 25 grams of coffee? Mm -hmm. It's uh, 25 grams is probably, um, it probably ends at 315. Uh, no later than 3.30 if, I'm, if I do my other. So I, I would say it's a good practice to do a consistent amount of coffee every time. Uh -huh. So if it's just for me, I'll do 25 grams. If it's for me and other people, I'll do 50 grams. Uh, and those are the only two that I do because I can practice those and yeah. get consistent mm -hmm. and have yeah. the, the, the right time down for those. And so. that's easy math to work with. Right. Yeah. 400 and, and 800. It's just doubling, you know, uh -huh. and it's easy, even numbers to, to remember. So, um, yeah. So, so I would say the, the coarser, the grind that you can get and still get a good extraction is, is the best because then you limit the amount of fines that you're going to have. This is so different from the way I thought about coffee and saw coffee being thought about growing up. Mm -hmm. It was just a fuel source. Right. As, as much as I knew. Yeah. I, it never... The idea of coffee being an art form, I didn't... I, that never crossed my mind until being exposed to people like you and, and Macklin. Mm. It's just so different from, from where I come from and, yeah, and my family. Huh. I mean, I, I, coffee is is 
an integral part of so many people's lives, but it's just world, a means really. to an end. Mm-hmm. It's not, people don't enjoy coffee for coffee's sake. Mm-hmm. It's not an art form. Which is, it's, it's interesting um, because I, in my paper right now, I've been researching a little bit and I knew this for the most part, but not the exact numbers. Um, if we look at, um, say, the most expensive, I don't want to say this, a union. If we look at the most expensive complex bottle of wine that you can get, okay, um, there are going to be about 250 to no more than 400 flavor and aroma compounds. So that's a pretty complex drink. Coffee, you're typically going to average around 800 flavor compounds. Wow. So it's it's about twice as complex as wine. Yeah. But we don't view it in that way because we use it as a source to get energy. Yeah. Uh, or just kind of a ritual, which it, it serves a great purpose for that. But if we take care of what we're doing and do things with, uh, like, intentionality, then it's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost as good as some would say a cup of wine is. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's way more compelling for me. I wouldn't be interested in coffee if it were just for energy. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of bothers me for some reason. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just because I've seen people abuse it. I don't know. Well, it's but, a drug. Well, it is. It really is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But but treating it as an art form, that's that's super compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the cupping process? And the reason I want to know about it is because I I have this rule, my wife and I have this rule that we can't judge the cup of coffee on the first sip. Um, but when I've watched cuppings happen, it's, it's usually like a, it's like a one sip, place it, go to the next one kind of thing. But I don't know if that's the way it goes or not. So I'd like to hear what, what, it, what is it like? And, and also, are there different grinds associated with a cupping um, than with a regular pour over or a regular at home brew? Yeah, so um, this is one reason I really like that French press method that I was talking about. James Hoffman kind of explains. Um, so cupping is you put, I mean, it's, it's a process, but you put the um, ground beans into the bowl or the small, it's, it's a small like cup, but it looks more like a bowl. Um, and you grind into that and then you smell so you get the aroma and try to try to pinpoint that. And then you put water into the cup and then you let it steep kind of like a, like a French press does. And then what you'll do is you'll take the spoons that you have and you'll rake off the top. So that's going to be the, the grounds that are floating and usually the, the coarser grounds. Okay. So you'll rake those off and put them into, well, well actually, let me step back a little bit. Um, those grounds that are at the top will form a crust kind of over the, over the coffee or over the cup. Um, and then you'll break that with your spoon and smell what comes out of it. And then um, after that, you'll rake off the grounds from the top and you'll put those in the trash. Um, and you'll do that for all of them. And then what we'll do is we'll go through and you'll dip your spoon and you'll slurp. And it's just like a violent in, like inhaling of coffee. <laughs> Uh, and what that does is it sprays coffee um, on all parts of your tongue. So then you can get a feel for, is it more acidic? Is it more full-bodied? Um, kind of what the context is. And then you get a, a better understanding of the flavor. Um, and typically, we'll take the sip of the coffee, dip it, think about it, 
and then go on down the line, and then we'll come back. So um, coffee changes as the temperature of the coffee changes. So mm-hmm. notes will start to come out that you didn't taste when it was, I don't know, 200 degrees that now you can taste because it's 130. Um, so as we're cupping those are cooling down. So when we go Mm -hmm. back to it, we taste it again, cool down. And I would say, uh, when we cup, I end up getting five or six spoonfuls of each, um, just to get like a better understanding. And because we're comparing them, um, I'll taste it and think, okay, I like this one. I like this one. I like this one. Which one do I like best? Mm -hmm. Which one should we pick? And so once we get to the elimination process, we'll, take different ones so it's not it's not i don't i don't know um on like with other people but we tend to repeat mm-hmm. and repeat to get the best idea of what we think that's going to taste wow. like i'd like to hear at some point and if we keep going on cupping no, if you no, want to it. but i'd like to hear since the notes change with the temperature mm-hmm. i'd like to know how you treat the drinking experience like how long does that last? Because Macklin and I have talked about that before, how it's completely different if you try to drink it quickly to mm. get a certain experience mm-hmm. versus just taking your time with it. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want to say that, or I, I mean, I, I haven't really developed a, like a perfect kind of sequence of, of sure. tasting the, the cup. I think it is going to be... Um, I guess, reflect on probably your preference. So, um, you know, there's not going to be as many notes when it's hot, but most people can't drink it when it's that hot anyway. Uh So once it gets to the level that you can drink it, um, you know, if you get one note and that one's not really speaking to you that much, and then, you know, 10 degrees later, it's tasting really good, you're probably going to consume majority of the cup during that time. Yeah. and then when it gets cooler and cooler, you're probably going to slowly finish it um, because the notes are changing. So it's probably going to differ with with um, how you prefer mm-hmm. in terms of a combination of the temperature that you usually drink as well as when the note that you really want comes out. I must be a slow drinker because by the time I'm done with it, it's usually on the cool end. Yeah. It's, no. Yeah. Depends on... I, I really like to get a small cup, so... Um, I have, well, not, not one cup, but there's this, um, black cup that I have at my house. Um, and it was my grandfather's cup, but it's, it's a, it's a small, um, like teacup maybe, Uh um, not like tiny, like it's got, it's a sufficient, it's like a maybe eight to 10 ounce cup. Um, but that allows me to, uh, kind of finish it when I want to finish it and then go back for more if I need it. So I can keep most of it in the carafe that I use with a lid on so that it stays warm. And then the smaller cup will cool down quicker so mm-hmm. that I can enjoy that when I want to enjoy it and then just add more. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I tend to do. Yeah. Um, because if you put it in like, I only put it in that Yeti if I'm taking it somewhere and it, it tends to heat up when I put it in there. I don't know how <laughs> I don't understand physics at that point, but. Uh, that was another question I had is, uh, because 25 grams is what my wife and I share. Okay. Um, and we will make it into a, 
it's like it's like the Walmart brand of a Yeti, um, and, and so we'll pour into that, and then and then we'll take it out to our porch and we'll we'll split it there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, but then I, but then sometimes I'll brew my own cup and it tastes very different. Um, and so I didn't know like if that's just coming from the fact that your coffee gets to cool down all in the same container, like the mug that you brew it in, or or if there's like adverse effects to pouring it out of a container into a mug, which seems like you do. Yeah. uh, So I didn't know. Yeah. So are you saying you, you brew it into the mug? We, we will brew it into a carafe with a lid and then, um, that way we don't have to like switch, switch the, the filter over and stuff like that. Okay. So when, when you do just you, like just a cup for you, do you still brew it into that same thing? No, I brew it into the mug that I s- okay. I'm drinking out of. Yeah. Um, so I, I always brew into a, um, like a carafe or something. And that's one, it's, it's glass so I can see it coming out. Um, and then two, you really want to be able to mix it because, because through the process, it's going to release different, um, compounds. Uh, so the, the coffee bean, technically speaking, can only, um, you can only get like 33% of what's in there out of it. So it can only extract up to 33%. Hmm. Usually it's good to shoot for about 20%. Um, so once you get to 22% and beyond, a lot of the bitters will come out. So that's why, um, for the most part, Folgers that you get is usually kind of bitter, or mm-hmm. Starbucks is, is sometimes kind of bitter because they overbrew it, which means they're getting more than 22%-ish out of the coffee, and a lot of bitters start to come out at that mm-hmm. point. So it's over-roasted and over-brewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, but that, that's also, uh, you know, helps their kind of mission of consistency right. across the world right um so if if you get a cup of starbucks and it tastes a little bitter and then uh sometimes a little watery or thin it's because it's being over extracted for the most part um Mm. so what what that's kind of saying is that different compounds or different aspects of the coffee are released during certain parts of uh, the extraction process so if you brew into this yeti um, and then you take the Yeti and then you pour it into the cup and then you pour this into the cup. Uh, this cup is probably going to taste different than this cup if you mm-hmm. don't mix it. Um, mm-hmm. so same thing, uh, in terms of if you do your own cup, if you don't stir it after you brew it into the cup, you're going to taste something that's different at the top of it than you are at the bottom of it. Mm. So you want to make sure after that you stir pretty vigorously to kind of incorporate all of that coffee together. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Do both of y'all, you said you and your wife drink it together, do both of y'all notice a taste difference between between the start and the end of the of the drinking? Yeah. I mean the the temperature has a huge amount to play. Yeah. Um and I I can't drink more than 200. Like if I like if I'm drinking out of a regular ceramic mug, 200 grams of of water is the most amount that I can drink. Um without without having it in another container to pour more into later because by the time i'm done with that it's it's getting cooled down i I, i'm not someone that that can just Mm -hmm. you know just drink it like a cup of water um so 
Yeah. Have you looked into the health benefits of coffee at all? Um, no, I've, okay. I've heard about them. I've done a little bit of reading, but not enough to feel like I could say that much about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I have read, and we've talked about this before, there's a study out there, at least one study, that says that on average, coffee drinkers live longer than <laughs> non-coffee drinkers. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. First of all, I don't know how they would study wait. that in the first place. I can't and, wait till I'm 120. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as soon as you get off coffee, then you'll die. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I've heard that, like, uh, I guess the whoever decides what's healthy, I don't know what that person's called, mm-hmm. but right. they said something about two to three cups a day is um, pretty pretty good for you. And there's also, I mean... Reducing risk of disease and stuff like that. Yeah, something something like that. And then I guess, you know, like a cup of wine or something is good for you. Yeah. As long as, like, you're not overdoing certain things. So, I mean, there's obviously things like Oreos that are never going to be good for you, <laughs> except emotionally. Right. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's just a, a plus for the yeah. coffee industry, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, I wonder... I wonder if part of that is just the fact that you're slowing down your life to enjoy something, if that in itself is a health benefit. Maybe. So, I mean, that's that's kind of where the name Modera stems from. Uh, it I don't even remember what language it is, but uh, it, it refers to controlling your moment. Okay. So, um, you know, being in control of... Uh, you know, this, this moment of your life and not letting, uh, you know, business or any kind of economical gain mm-hmm. control what you're doing at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure like, cause coffee for a lot of people is ritualistic. Um, and they can kind of in their own way meditate during their, um, morning cup. Yeah. Uh, which a lot of people do. So a lot of people do, uh, so some kind of reading or a quiet time or something like that with a cup of coffee. Right. Um, and I think it has served for a long time as um, kind of an instigator for that kind of meditation. Mm. I mean, even even if someone's only using coffee for fuel, I would think that a lifestyle that allows two to three cups a day mm-hmm. is probably healthier than a lifestyle that doesn't allow that, mm-hmm. I would think. Yeah. So. Yeah. Plus, it's, I mean, I think it's, it's, um, isn't it like a appetite deterrent or something like that? I don't so know. So it, it, it can help in terms of if you're, I guess, really hungry to serve as like a, a prolong or, or to prolong your hunger. Yeah. Uh, but then you get really shaky. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I do know that people who uh, do regular fasting, like intermittent fasting and stuff like that, I don't know yeah. if you've looked into that sort of thing, but yeah. Yeah. Um, they don't consider drinking coffee breaking the, breaking the fast. Oh, right, because... I they, mean, there's no calories involved. Exactly, uh, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it helps with, with appetite as well. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. So that's that's one reason they do it. Intermittent fasting is kind of interesting. Um, do you do you practice that at all? No, I've tried. Um, I just I just well sometimes on accident. On accident, yeah. I'll like wake up and just go about things and forget to eat until yeah. lunch or forget to eat until dinner or something like that. Um, probably because I have enough of this that it gets me through that time. But um, I've tried it once uh, when I was playing baseball, 
and it was just kind of weird. Um, I never really bought into it, so I didn't see any effects. So because yeah. I, I didn't stick with it long enough, but I know that a lot of people like for for movies and stuff or or whatnot. But I don't understand. I don't know the the technicalities of it. So whether you have to stick to some kind of caloric intake uh, because it, it, it makes sense to me that you still have to be under a certain amount of calories. So right. you have to be at a caloric deficit right. um, in order to lose weight, yeah. Um, yeah. which is just makes sense. Um, but also I notice when I eat, as soon as I get up, I'm hungry like an hour later versus if I don't eat, my metabolism doesn't kickstart until way later in the day. So uh-huh. I would assume the longer your metabolism is going, the the more calories you're just going to naturally burn. Um, but I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about that. To, sure. Yeah. For, so whatever I say is <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Well, you you do intermittent fasting. I haven't yeah, done I it. Yeah, I do. At all. Yeah, I do. I I shoot for eighteen hours fasting, uh-huh. six hour eating window is what I shoot for. How Re- many times do you eat in that window? Uh, three or four. Really? Um, I I try to get between twenty five hundred and three thousand calories a day. I mean, I'm a naturally very skinny person. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of honey buns. Well, I I lose weight pretty easily, so if I don't watch my calories, my weight just starts dropping. Oh right. right. Um, it's just genetic, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, there's certain what do you call them ecto what do they call them and ectotherms uh, yeah something like that I don't know is it Ex- morphs? morphs that sounds better endo and ectomorph <laughs> that sounds better and then a mesomorph <laughs> which is like the combination thermic of, is like body heat yeah, like, yeah, yeah. are you a reptile or a mammal <laughs> this is this is coming straight out of the praxis test yeah so. <laughs> um, uh, whatever the body type is that doesn't easily build fat or muscle that's yeah. me uh-huh. so I have a really hard time putting on muscle so I have to I have to be intentional with not letting my weight drop. Yeah. Um, it's been a, it's been a positive experience for me, but I've also been experimenting with it in different ways for over a year. So I think that's been a long enough time to actually track and see if there is a benefit. I don't think three months in, I would have been able to say yeah. one way or the other, if it was helpful. When does your six hours start? It starts, uh, around 10 AM, 11 AM, something like that. Okay. And part of that is because I work a second shift job. Okay. So it's just easier for me to start the fast in the afternoon. Are you married? I am. Do you? So what is second shift? Uh, two to midnight. Okay. It's a weird schedule. It is. Yeah, it's really weird. Because I was going to say, yeah. then having dinner at a normal time with your wife would be... Yeah. Um, weird. Yeah, we don't we don't get to have dinner together yeah. very often, but we do try to have breakfast together. That's like our yeah. meal time together. Yeah. Um I mean it's a late breakfast. It's right. like ten, ten thirty. Um we've kind of claimed that as our Oh good. As our bonding meal time. Yeah. At least there's one. Um and then sometimes lunch also, depending yeah. on the depending on the day. <clears throat> yeah, Ryan and I my my wife's name is Ryan. I know that's kinda weird, so uh, but anyway we uh, like I said earlier, like we have dinner together and then I go and study. So that's yeah. kind of like that time in which we can sit down and like have a meal and talk. And then for the rest of the night, I'm probably studying or doing something else. So it's important to have those I think so. moments. Yeah. Especially around food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We actually, my Reagan and I, that, that moment for us is usually around coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we uh, we live out on a farm, so we have this this front porch that kind of looks over the farm, and we usually take our coffee out in the morning and like sit there and and almost con- almost every day that we do that, our conversation is inherently better, you know, than than even when we're sitting over a meal. <clears throat> um, I don't know something about. I'm sure it has a, a variety of reasons, but it's usually always around coffee. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think it just, I think coffee and food in general instigate those types of uh, environments or situations that, you know, we can sit with people. Um, and coffee is usually the easiest. Yeah. Uh, in order to, I mean, because you can go somewhere with someone and just receive a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot cheaper than like a, a meal, a full meal somewhere. Um, so that's that's one thing uh, we try to use barefoots for is we try to create that environment in which um, you know there are other people. And, and kind of the same with Madeira, that you know there are other people, but you can sit down and have a meaningful relationship or conversation that instigates some kind of growth that you wouldn't ha- be able to have at like maybe a Starbucks or a McDonald's all the time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, even with Starbucks, I mean, you definitely see it with a small coffee shop like mm-hmm. Madeira, but even with Starbucks, somehow they did a great job marketing themselves mm-hmm. as on one hand, a great place to get stuff done, but yeah. on the other hand, a great place to sit down mm-hmm. and just talk with someone. I don't know how they pulled both off, but they did. Yeah. Yeah. They, people see them as, as both. Mm-hmm. You can, you can do either one at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's, I don't know how they did it, but they, they pulled it yeah. off. Yeah. It smells so good too. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah. Even even going up to the drive-through, uh-huh. they I think they must diffuse because <laughs> because <laughs> like I pull up to the freaking uh, drive-through and it's like it's like a wall of deliciousness and I'm like I want to go in there and yeah, yeah. drink some coffee. So. We've got three coffee shops at Union mm-hmm. within. Uh, one stone's yeah. throw. I guess right. one of them technically isn't on Union's campus. But they count it as. Yeah, as it but is. it's, it's yeah. yeah. Man. Um, is there anything that you would change about the way Madero does coffee? Um, no, not really. Uh, I think I, I have, you know a little bit of say in how it's, how it is done. Um, but you know, with the, with the customer base that we have. So I, I was actually talking to, cause we do, um, like if you bring your cup in, uh, you get, a, you know, that cup filled for a dollar, which is unheard of, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, in specialty coffee where it's usually about $6 a cup. Yeah. Um, so if you go to Nashville, you're going to pay $6 for a cup of coffee. Um, and I was talking to a customer and said, I don't know what you're going to do next week when we increase it to 125. Just joking. Cause he always brings his dollar in every day. And he said, you actually should do that. Um, so I thought it was interesting that our customer was like, you should probably increase the, the price of your coffee. Hmm. Um, but I, I do love that, uh, we're able to do that. So we're able to, um, sell a dollar mm-hmm. cup of coffee. Um, and it does, you know, two things that one gets people in the shop 
but then two um, shows people a different coffee than they would normally drink. So yeah. uh, especially here in Jackson, not many, not many places. Well, Modero is the only place that has specialty coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of opens that world to those people and, you know, people that are busy or usually aren't associated with union at all will come in to get that dollar cup. Um, and it allows them and brings them into campus um, as well as just kind of opens that world to them of what specialty coffee is and and stuff like that. So, But no, I think we do things pretty consistent to how I would do them. I probably wouldn't have as many syrups, um, but other than that. Yeah. Uh, Those are the only two, the only two things that I, as, as someone looking outside who really, really wants to get into, who really enjoys a specialty coffee mm-hmm. scene and culture and all that, that it's involved with. Uh, the only two things that I had were the, the Fetco and the, um, and the syrups, mm-hmm. but the Fetco answer was great. I mean, it is, yeah. I mean, you've got to be able to serve a consistent cup instead of a really good cup, one out of every 10. Yeah. And that, and that Fetco will do that for you. Yeah. And I mean, the Fetco is, you know, top of the line, um, coffee brewer pretty much. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's the best cup of coffee you're going to get from a brewer. I think that's delicious I, that I know about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, this, that I've been drinking is just a small black cup of black coffee. Right. I mean, it's just basic. Um, and it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you guys switch out the coffee that goes in the, in the brewer? Um, um, cause I know that I had a Dominican, not Dominican Republic, a democratic Republic of Congo mm-hmm. out of it the other day. It was really good. Do you guys switch this, the coffees out in there? Yeah. So, um, we usually try to, uh, have one per day. So, uh, I don't remember what is in there right now, but we have, oh, it's, I think it's Rwanda actually. So we will do Rwanda for the rest of the day. And then tomorrow morning, the barista will choose, um, their favorite coffee as long as it's not Rwanda. Um, because we did that yesterday Mm -hmm. or today. Uh, and they can kind of choose which one they want to go with. And it could be Congo or one of our Colombias Mm. or, uh, our Ethiopia. So they, they kind of have that, you know, freedom to choose which coffee. We just asked them not to do the, the one from the day before. So every day should be um, a different coffee. Mm-hmm. Man. Well, that's everything that I had. Yeah. I didn't know if you had anything else. That yeah, you this has been great. I mean, for for a newbie in the world of coffee, <laughs> this has been really technical. So it's been it's been great. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Signing out.